0: Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As so we continue on the marathon here, approaching closing out three hours of broadcasting and hitting our fifth hour, it's a little tricky. So technically, when we hit three o'clock, we'll enter, right? No, four o'clock, we'll enter our fifth hour after completing four hours of broadcasting. Even I didn't get that right. Uh, if you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoops Twitter is still alive for us, at least in our broadcasting world. Um, you can also uh, email us, hoopsal at d3sports.com. Uh, we'll remind you, once again, this is a fundraising show as well. Uh, we have a fundraiser on our show page that you can check out through either straight donation via Venmo or through the Give Butter fundraising efforts. You're also are selling uh, merchandise, mainly shirts. Uh, I did get a request for polos. We may add that to this store. I'm going to reach out to our guys, see if we can add that. Um, we just saw it was cost prohibitive, but some people have indicated, yeah, maybe they'd be interested. And getting a Hoopsville-branded uh, polo. So we'll look into that as well. Um, still ahead, lots to talk about, including officiating in Division III. Uh, we still have Illinois College men's basketball. We'll talk to them. Um, we will talk about the top 25 on the women's side and plus talk to some top 10 programs still ahead in the show and the happy hour later on. It's all about Division Three on this show, and that's why the marathon is in its ninth season. We've also been talking to a number of teams that have uh, maybe not come out of nowhere, but certainly surprised a lot or have gotten on top of their conference in uh, spectacular ways. One of them is the Trinity Bantams. We talked to the Trinity Texas School prior. Now the Bantams are the ones who are getting some headlines. And, of course, they will be the hosts of the championship games. Or I keep saying that because I, I keep used to saying championship um, weekend, and it's not. It's just going to be the the semifinals in Trinity uh, in Connecticut. And by the way, that means three Connecticut schools on the show here uh, and all in women's basketball, I may add. And the third is the Bantams, as Emily Gardner Garner joins us on the program, the head coach of the team. Cur- coach, first and foremost, congratulations, because you're having an absolutely awesome season uh, in what is an absolutely crazy NESCAC this year. 19-1 and overall, 6-0 and in conference play. Uh, significant improvement over last year, where you guys finished 17-6, six eight and two. Did you did you expect this when you guys started the season?
1: Um, you know, truthfully, not quite. Um, and first <laughs> of all, thanks so much for for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, oh, absolutely. It, it's certainly been a fun ride uh, up to this point. Um, I think coming in, um, we were excited about the group we had for sure. I think we had a, a special group this year, um, but it's it's definitely been something that we've kind of gone through the year and just focused on one game at a time. Um, and here we are in February and uh, happy with where we're at, but obviously not satisfied by any means and excited to uh, see what February brings.
0: Well, no, because you've got – I mean, the opportunity right now is rich. Uh, I mean, you've got some of the heavyweights of this of this conference right now kind of stubbed their toes several times in some cases. You've got a prime opportunity to to kind of – grab a hold of this conference and, and make it your own this year. That, that's that got to be thrilling.
1: It's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I think as you talked about, the NESCAC is um, a wild conference this year, but every team on any given night uh, is is just a great team. Um, and so I think what we've seen is uh, it's been an unusual year, but also a lot of fun with the parody parity that's in the league. Um, I think we have a lot of great teams, a lot of great coaches and uh, preparing every weekend for Friday, Saturday uh, is always a challenge and always a battle, for sure.
0: Yeah, if anyone's uh, not paying attention to what the rankings are or the standings, I should say, in the division, uh, you guys are on top of the NSAC at six and zero. You got Tufts a game behind you at five and one. Williams having a tremendous season at five and two. Then it's a. a couple game drop off and you got Wesleyan and Colby stuck at three and three Middlebury and Hamilton are three and four Bowden and Bates is two and four has anyone noticed I haven't said the word Amherst yet they're at two and five in the conference second to last with Connecticut College sitting at one and five Amherst is two and five yet 14 and seven overall good team but they are taking their lumps it's the most losses that uh, GP had never had more than two losses in his coaching career at Amherst this is it's a little like the men right now. Uh, we're, we're so used to saying, okay, this team's going to be on the top of the women. This will be on top of the women. They might fare, and then everybody else will battle for it. it it's absolute pandemonium to some degree. What has been the secret to your team being able to stay ahead of the fray?
1: Um, I think from our end, we have a really nice blend of uh, a senior class who, who has great perspective. Um, all three of them had season-ending injuries last year. And so they kind of bring a perspective of, of they're enjoying the moment. they're taking nothing for granted. And they've led a group that is a blend of of some really youthful exuberance that are just having a lot of fun going through the process. Um, and I think our team chemistry has just been really phenomenal this year. we're We're lucky to have a great group of leaders, um, but also a great group of sophomores and first years who are adding the enthusiasm uh, that I think just brings a lot of joy to the game and brings a lot of joy to the process
0: you having the best season, I think, in program history, if memory serves, at 19-1. and Your one loss is to Smith in Game 4 of the season at the end of November in overtime, 71-68. And ain't looking too shabby right now. I mean, that, you're that close to not only an undefeated season, which is one thing, but you took what is a team that everybody considers as one of the top five in the country right to the wire. Yeah,
1: Smith's great. They obviously have established a perennial program there. Um, I think that's one that we look back on is both uh, a really good learning lesson for us um, and also just one that uh, I think sometimes you learn more in having those tough moments early on um, and being able to look back, reflect on some of the things we did and kind of reset and refocus. Um, We really start with our defense and we kind of felt like our defensive intensity wasn't where it needed to be at points during that game. Um, And being able to watch that film to talk about the challenges we incurred and being able to use that uh, to kind of improve. Uh, and I think that was, that was one that really helped us move forward. Um, and honestly going to overtime with them, um, that was something that we were, uh, you know, disappointed in, but also kind of just helped us help motivate us and help us figure out a few things that we needed to at that point.
0: Yeah, certainly. Uh, and then you look at the rest of the schedule, you, you've gotten some huge wins, uh, you look at the fact that you got past Emmanuel, 60-45. to 45. You beat Springfield, 58-45 at their place. You beat Skidmore, 59-57. All those teams having really good seasons. And, and of course, conference play, you've gotten so far past everyone, including Amherst, who you just played, 51-45. At some point, you got to also check yourselves, right? At some point, you pinch yourselves a little bit and go, what is really going on here? Let's keep grounded and understand instead of getting too high. But at How do you balance that with enjoying the fact that you're having an outstanding season?
1: Absolutely. I think um, we celebrate in the moment and then quickly hit the reset button. You know, I know coaches talk a lot about short-term memory, and that's something we talk a lot about as well. Um, Each and every game has brought a different challenge. It's brought something different to celebrate. Uh, I talked about our seniors before, and, and I truly can't say enough about their perspective and their leadership and kind of what that means for our team. Um, they're a group that has been through so much adversity, um, you know, just like every senior class, they're kind of the COVID kids who went through that, um, right after their first year. And then for all three of them to experience those season ending injuries last year, um, their perspective has really helped our team in that balance of, Hey, let's celebrate every moment. Let's enjoy the ride, but also let's make sure there's no more, more important game than the next game. Um, and then once that happens, we'll refocus and reset for the next one. Um, so we talk obviously we're we're grateful to be included in those national polls. We're grateful to be where we're at, but also very much a team that is focused on what's ahead of us um and really focused on obviously we talk a lot about February and, and where we want to be and knowing that every game is another step for us to uh prepare for.
0: Uh speaking of where you'll be and what's ahead of you, the tough part is actually ahead. You've got four games to finish up the conference schedule. They're all on the road. You've got Williams out of the gate tomorrow. You're then at Middlebury in Vermont on Saturday. Next week you're at Bates, who was playing spoiler last season, and you're at Tufts. So you got the long haul there to those two. And of course, Tufts sitting right behind you in conference play. Not only do you have four tough matchups ahead of you, they're all on the road. How do you prepare the team for what is gonna be a bit of a a bit of a challenge here in the next couple of weeks?
1: Absolutely. Uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about it kind of being a gauntlet at the end. Um, and so that's been a mentality we have talked about throughout the course of the season. We've done our best to create a schedule that mimics that uh, kind of early on, going up and playing some really, really competitive games on the road. Babson obviously being a tough one, going to Springfield and playing there. Um, but again, I think it's just keeping that focus on one game at a time for us. Um, we are trying not to look ahead. We don't want to look ahead. Um, obviously, Williams again is having a great season, and right now that's the team we're focused on. Um, well aware of what else is is ahead of us from that end, and and again, like we talked about, the NESCAC is just so deep and so talented. Um, so we know the challenges that are that are coming, um, but also feel like we are focused on preparing one game at a time um,
0: and making sure we don't get ahead of ourselves. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm fully aware. Coaches love to talk about the one game at a time. We, we like to look ahead. So we have to find some, some medium in the middle. Uh, but it jumped out at me that again, you're, you're four in a row on the road. Let's quickly talk about this team. You're outscoring opponents by uh, oh more than 13 points a game. You're being led. Uh, by Riley Campbell at, at nearly 16 points a game, 10.5 points from Emma Wax. And then that's it for double figures because you have a lot of players who can contribute, including Bria Fuller, uh, Andy Del Rocco, though I know she's missed some games due to injury, Hannah Marzo and, and Frankie Silva, and there's more. But tell me a little bit about Campbell, a little bit about Wax, and, and how everybody interacts with, with the two of them and as a unit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, both of them are, are phenomenal, obviously, with their numbers, but also in their leadership and the energy and emotion that they play with. And I think when you look at both of their numbers, um, points per game jumps out as as rebounds. But if you look at their assist numbers, they're also very high. And so they do a great job facilitating. I think when you when you spoke about uh, where our kind of points are distributed, what's been fun this year for us is our depth and our ability. Where if someone's having a tougher night, somebody else steps up. Um, and so when we're talking about and when we were talking about developing this team, what our mentality really is, is is just continuing to be in a place where anybody feels the ability to step up on any given night. Um, and so it's it's been a fun ride. I think, um, you know, Riley is has done a great job in the paint, seeing a lot of double teams and, and just having the ability and recognition to kick back out. Um, And again, I I think our inside-out scoring has been something that has certainly helped us, but the ability to distribute um, and and kind of keep it even throughout the course of the year within the scope of our team has been helpful.
0: And and you talk about the seniors, but it's interesting because those two are juniors. Um, the, the senior that's, that we mentioned was Bria Fuller. The rest are sophomores or juniors. And I get it. That's, that's been a dynamic, uh, um, Frankie Silver is another one of those seniors, but that's been a dynamic of a lot of teams. You get these senior leaders who've been there for a while, maybe stayed an extra year with COVID have that experience, but it's the younger classmen who are finding ways to step in and take over some of the, the production roles as it were. But that's a, that's a bit of a balancing act, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, and I think we talk. You know, we were we were talking about offense, but I think um, what we really pride ourselves on is our defense. Um, when you speak about about defense, um, nobody brings it more than Bria. And so that energy that she brings on the defensive end, uh, what Frankie has done for us from that defensive end, the ability to defend uh, inside and on the perimeter, uh, she does a, a great job on the boards. Um, I think those are are really the avenues that spark our energy and spark our team. Um, And so we, we focus a lot on our defense um, and it's a really nice balance of players who are um, both have the ability to score, but very defensive minded in terms of what we're doing.
0: Uh, I got a kick reading a kick out of reading your bio. Um, I've always considered the Patriot league to be the division three of division one. And that's not a knock. Mm -hmm. It's just, there are so many commonalities and we see a lot of division three coaches be very successful at at Patriot League programs because there's so many commonalities in the student-athlete expected um, um, demands that you are a student first despite getting an athletic scholarship and some of the other things that the Patriot League does. I love working in the Patriot League. We're going to forget the fact you worked at Army. It's your poor choice. Navy's a better one. I'm just saying, just in case my Navy employers are listening. Um. But you, you're you a Lafayette grad, Josh uh, at, at Johns Hopkins, Lafayette. We see others who are Patriot leaguers who come to Division Three, have great success, and, and honestly stay as a result of that. I'm not saying you are or not. What is it about the Patriot League, outside of what I've said, or, or maybe that I don't understand even being in it, that is so suitable for coaches to be so successful in division three and not just in basketball across all sports
1: i think when you talk about it and it's it's kind of cool you mentioned josh because he was there when i was there so it's, yep. it's been all cool yep. of the success as well um uh, but i think it's really that academics and, and athletics model um where it, it truly is about the full student athlete experience um with the student being that first part of it where you're able to balance competing at a really high level uh, with a quality really high quality education um, but also preparing for that real world and being able to get those career development connections, um, and get that internship capacity. And I think um, the recruiting model is very similar. you are recruiting highly motivated students who want to compete and play at a very high level, but also very much care about their education, very much care about their future. Um, and so that transition is is fairly seamless of going back uh, between the, the Patriot League and into the NESCAC. Um, and... You know, I think it's, it's been something that that experience, uh, that balance has been really important to me. Um, and obviously being in the NESCAC, it's, it's just been a phenomenal uh, place to be in terms of that student-athlete experience.
0: Certainly makes sense. Before I let you go, you guys are the hosts yeah. of the uh, semifinals. No championship. I'm sorry, we will not allow you to have the championship. It must go to Dallas. But you do get the semifinals uh, there at Trinity. I know my colleague Gordon Mann is Stoked to be on, belief that the f- semifinals will be at his alma mater. Uh, how excited are you guys? And, and is this a one-time thing, or are you guys putting your toe in the water a little bit of trying to, to host some more championships?
1: Great question. I believe it's a one-time thing, but uh, I will say we hosted the field hockey final four um, this past year. We are hosting the men's ice hockey final four uh, next year, and then I believe field hockey comes back through here in 2025. Um, So it's a space where we're we're definitely definitely hosting. Um, It's really exciting. I think it's really cool that it's coming through Hartford. I think we're really excited not only to um, showcase our city, but be in a capacity where uh, we just get to see some really high quality, high caliber basketball. Um, And from that end, uh, very, very exciting to see. I think it's something that um, our athletic director, our athletic administration has worked very hard to create an awesome opportunity for those student athletes competing, um, so we're we're very much excited about it.
2: No,
0: I'm sure it's going to be an outstanding experience. I know you'd love to be there and be in your own gym, but we won't we won't go too far with that. We'll just we'll just look at it from afar for now. Uh, congratulations on a tremendous season. Good luck not only finishing it off in NESCAC play and all that and hopeful NCAA tournament play, but good luck with the hosting as well. I, I know you guys are, uh, will have fun doing that, but um, that's a whole other experience on top of playing. So we wish you luck with that as well. And uh, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuned in?
1: No, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, and thank you for all you do with E3 uh, Basketball and Deeper Hoops.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, It was definitely a little centric around Hartford today uh, on the show as we had both you Hartford and Albertus Magnus on, but appreciate you taking the time and great to learn more about the Bantams. Nescax doesn't disappoint when it comes to mascots and uh, it's fun to talk about the Bantams and we'll look forward to talking about them a lot more down the road.
1: Thank you so much. Appreciate
0: it. Thank you, Emily. Emily Gardner joining us on the Huddle Hoopsaw Hotline Appreciate her taking the time. They're having a tremendous season, and the NESCAC is bonkers crazy. It's worth watching those games. It is good basketball. Uh, it's good basketball across Division Three, but it's really good basketball. Again, they're on the road against Williams and Middlebury this weekend. Good test. We'll see how they'll finish off the rest of the year. We'll take another break. When we come back, we will talk uh, men's basketball out in Illinois with Coach Steve Sweer. You're listening to Hoops, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. These are your
3: teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer, at every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities.
5: I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being. Not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly is all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being.
0: Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue along celebrating Division Three basketball on this Groundhog Day, apparently the Groundhog did see a shadow because... That one location in Pittsburgh, in Pennsylvania controls all of our weather. I digress. I, that said, we've barely seen any snow. Uh-oh. Somebody just shut the doors. We might get a little angry from the puppy here for a little while. We'll try and uh, and help him out in a bit. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3 Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. You can also join us on um, Facebook at facebook.com. We're live simulcasting the show for a little longer. I actually have to switch... Sources here shortly on that, and I'm hoping I can pull it off during the interview. So if you're watching on Facebook and this segment ends, we've started another one. I apologize. There's just no good way to do it um, because they've got a limit on the timing, and we've got to time it right. Uh, switching to men's basketball, another team that's been catching attention of ours is Illinois uh, college out in, I believe it's Illinois. I believe they're, they're located officially in Illinois. That's just a, a gut feeling I have on what they may or may not be doing out there. Sorry, I'm trying to make sure we get the coach in properly here. There we go. Um, having a great season, of course, in the Midwest Conference as well. Uh, and joining us on the Huddle Hoopso Hotline, it's Steve Schweer. Oh, I see. I got another S in there. I didn't catch them all. Got to fix that, Steve. Thanks for joining us on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, congratulations, first and foremost. But uh, you, you know, you got to be thrilled with the season you're having because it's it's not only outstanding, it's it's almost unheard of to some degree, right?
6: Yeah, you know, first off, thanks for having me. You know, I really appreciate the invitation. Uh, I've been a longtime fan, so uh, excited to be on. Talk a little on college basketball and. Um, but yeah you know we we've, we've been we've been having a great year it's been a fun ride for us um, we're trying to enjoy it the best we can as we go and and hopefully keep it moving you know uh, this this last win this this week gave us the the most single season wins in school history so uh, you know obviously that's a that's a big deal for us but uh, trying to stay focused on on what our goals are um, and, and keep putting one foot in front of the other so
0: yeah, no, totally get it. Uh, and yes, breaking records is is huge, um, but as you start to break those and you climb up, more attention is drawn, like people coming on and asking you to be on shows <laughs> yep. of theirs. Um, but let's talk about it. Let's let's talk about how great this season was. Started out of the gate one and one, lost to Millican in game number two, sixty four fifty six. You have clicked things along since then. Listen, the conversation has been legitimately about who have you played. Sure. Uh, the conference is what the conference is. but have got some other got some games in there against some opponents that we certainly have recognized have been part of the conversation in years past. I'll admit, I started buying in a little bit when I saw the win over Brockport. That was the one that I kind of went, whoa, wait. How about that? 7963. But you also beat Wisconsin Lutheran, who has been a pretty consistent program uh, year in and year out. What, for you as a program, was the moment you guys realized you may have something special this season?
6: Well, oh, I think it's something that kind of came about as we went, to be honest. I, I can't point to a specific moment, but, uh, you know, the first thing I'll say is is I think, you know, our league has some really good basketball in it. We've got some great coaches and some some really good programs. You know, I know sometimes the records of some of the, the teams in our league are not uh, what you might see elsewhere. Uh, I also think we're surrounded by some really, really good leagues that we – that teams in our league we'll play against, um, you know, but in any given year, I, I think our league is very competitive uh, top to bottom. And I think, you know, there's some really good basketball and some really good coaches in our league. So I uh, wanted, wanted to say that first off, but um, you know, we, we, we try to play, you know, we've got a couple of CCIW teams on, on our schedule this year and Brockport, you mentioned obviously, and, uh, and they're a really good team and they've had a lot of success and um, you know, so we, we've had some games where, I feel like we've played some really good competition and, and played played well in those games, um, you know. And and for us, you know, this has been a you know kind of a an opportunity for us really to put our best foot forward in terms of what we want our identity to be as a, as a program. And uh, I think we've really really defended at a high level this year. Um, and as we continue to, you know, stack games on top of each other where we had good effort defensively and, uh, we're able to do some of those things. I think our guys started buying more and more to what we, we've kind of been preaching as, as a, as the foundation for our program. And so, uh, it's kind of snowballed for us a little bit. And, and then, like I said, it's been a really fun ride and, and the guys deserve all the credit for it. I'm just thankful I get the front row seat. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, the CCIW well, being an Illinois Wesleyan grad yourself, um, and got the win over Augustana, granted an Augustana team, and I'm not trying to diminish it, but one that yeah. we're still trying to figure out. It's a program in yeah. flux a little bit from what we've been used to. Things were going along well, and then Cornell, not the Division One one, the one in your <sighs> conference, uh, came along and said, hey, 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 here's a pin to put in your balloon,
2: yeah.
0: um, and knocked you guys off 64-56. Granted, at their place, um, yeah. which is always a significant factor. I, I, I certainly appreciate that despite what a conference may be on a national level or what a lot of teams bring, you all know each other. And and so games can be challenging. So I can appreciate that a game at Cornell is going to be challenging. I do want to ask, though, your next game was Grinnell. Is there a danger that you might have been looking ahead at the absolute nightmare you're going to do? And I don't mean because they're maybe awesome, but because you have to reinvent the wheel to some degree. That was ahead of you. Could could Cornell have been the one that you forgot to, to be looking at?
6: I, I don't think so. Honestly, uh, okay. I, I I can certainly appreciate that the the Cornell game is is one that everyone's aware of on our schedule, and and obviously the style they play is is uh, presents its own challenge to prepare for. But you know, Dave's team at, at Cornell has been playing really well. They've won five or six in a row. I can't remember exactly what it is now, but um, you know, and we've we've had some tough battles with them over over the last few years since I, since I've been at IC, and so. Uh, we knew it was a big game coming in. They were they were second place in the standings, tied for second with with uh, three losses in league, and and uh, you know they they played well. Um, and you know, ironically for us, you know, the two games that we've lost, the the scores were exactly the same in both of those games, and we missed 40 shots in both of those games. Um, and so, you know, credit to to both Cornell and Milliken, uh, they both played really well against us. Um, and certainly had played a big role in, in our ineffectiveness to put the ball in the basket. Um, but, you know, it's hard, it's hard to win games when you can't put it in the hole. So
0: Now, I, yeah, I hear that. By the way, I don't know if this is a cruel joke that the conference committed to you guys or if something I'm not understanding is in play. Uh, you played Grinnell on the 28th of, of November, uh, January, just, just a few few yeah. days ago. You beat him 110-97. You then had Monmouth. Uh, three days later, you you beat them seventy six forty two. If no one's looked at your schedule, I have. Yeah. Your next opponent is Grinnell.
3: That's right. <laughs> What what? Yep.
0: What's with Grinnell being two out of the of three games in a sequence? Why why are they not spaced out for you? <laughs>
6: I, I don't know. I, you know, our our league is our league is different in terms of you know our geography and also we've got a, a pretty unique mix of schools and that we're yeah. all different uh, on our academic calendars and all that stuff. And I know there's a million different things that play into schedule making. Um, you know, it, it's. I don't, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing for us. Part of me thinks, you know, hey, we get to play them twice in a short span, so maybe we're more familiar and we don't. Fair. Like, get it know, out of your do, system all at right, once. Right. You mentioned reinventing the wheel, so maybe we only have to do it once instead of <laughs> twice in a year. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. Um, but. You know, we're we're fortunate to be where we're at. Um, you know, like you said, Grinnell is is an interesting game. Everybody that wants to come watch that. I mean, that's the highest attended game that we have every year, and uh, they like to see the fireworks. And, um, you know, we're fortunate to have a bye this weekend so we can rest up a little bit and hopefully yeah. prepare. Um, you know, and and then, uh, you know, we're going to let the chips fall where they do.
0: No, the, the bye was where I was going too. The advantage is you're going into this one with some time I, I mean, maybe you want it afterward to recuperate, but at least you get some time to adjust. Because I've been told that, and you would know this best because you're in the conference. I've been told there are times that recovering from a Grinnell game, getting that out of your system, no pun intended, is a two game process.
6: Yeah, you know, I when I when people ask about how you prepare and all that other stuff, I think it kind of gets lost that you have to go back to playing a traditional style after you play them. Um, so really, you know, you have to prepare and then, in a certain sen- in a certain sense, unprepare. Yeah, uh, you know, for your next game, and you know, it presents a unique challenge. But uh, but I think our guys actually like playing in the game. Um, you know, obviously, it's uh, the the fans enjoy it, um, and and it's a reality for us in the West Conference that that uh, you know you're going to have to go up against the system. So, um, you know, we we were fortunate to have some success last time, and hopefully, we can we can replicate that a little bit next week.
0: I don't think people appreciate just where you guys are located. You're 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 down near St. Louis. You're 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 west of Springfield, the capital of Illinois. I think a lot of people I don't really realize. Kind of the makeup of this Midwest Conference, because as you said, it's it kind of runs a gamut in terms of locations. What's what's the travel like for you guys normally?
6: Yeah, so uh, we are the furthest south uh, in our league, and and the furthest north teams are are up in Wisconsin, Lawrence uh, and Ripon and those are uh, five a little over five hour rides for us, and uh, Cornell and Grinnell are are closer to the four hour range. Uh, Knox and Monmouth are two for us, and then uh, Beloit and Lake Forest are uh, right around four, just under four, maybe. So, um, you know, uh, that's that's part of the deal, you know. And and winning on the road is hard no matter where you are. Um, some of our trips may be a little bit longer, but you know they got to come to us too. So yeah, um, you know that's you gotta you gotta prepare for every game, you know, and bring your best. And and you know if you want to win on the road, you got to have some mental toughness. So. Uh, True. I think we've had we've had games where we showed some of that, and uh, hopefully that's something that we can rely on down the stretch here. Talk about
0: a little bit of, about the guys. Josh Harris leading the way. Uh, he's got thirteen and a half points a game. He's only started in four games. He's got three and a half rebounds per contest. He's one. I mean, the, everybody distributes the the basketball, so it's it's basically a statement for everybody to say that he passes it as well. Shoots forty four percent from the floor. So does Jake uh, Maz, Masramus.
6: Masremus,
0: uh, yep. Masremus, I was wondering if it was a, it was in the middle. Masremus, yep. I always tell my son it's important to un- understand where the emphasis and the syllable is. You got uh, it. Sorry, bad joke. That's um, all right. We're already we're we're at that point in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shoots forty four percent. Does Jake forty two percent from beyond the arc? Averages twelve and a half points. You got two more in double figures in Rodgers and Ritzel, eleven point seven, eleven point six respect respectfully. Both shoot better than 46% from the floor. Uh, Ritzel shoots, uh, is it Ritzel? Hold on, uh, misplaced it. Um, Rogers shoots th- 43% from beyond the arc. That's, that's a heck of a, a four-headed monster right there, on, and, you, and you're bringing one of them off the bench, we should point out, and yes. plus you got everybody else.
6: Yeah, no, we've got a great group and we've got some really good depth, uh, you know, speaking on Josh Harris, who's, who's just a sophomore for us, um, you know, I, I think we all have really high expectations for him coming in the year. And I honestly uh, anticipated him being a starting lineup and uh, he struggled a little bit early on in the season, uh, like prior to our, our games officially starting and he actually asked to come off the bench. Um, and has really kind of bought into that role and i think that is kind of a microcosm of our team we've got a lot of guys who have been willing to make some sacrifices uh, for, of their personal success to to see the betterment of the team and i think that speaks volumes of the type of kids that we have um you know another great example of that is, is hank hayer um you know he's he's only playing nine ten minutes a game for us right now and he started probably the last 15 games for us last year um and and he's, he's embraced that coming off the bench and trying to be a, you know, a shooter for us and a spark. And Jackson Dion as well has done that for us. And um, that, that's really been great. So um, to circle back, you know, some of our other guys, Jake Maz, you know, he's been the guy for us since he got on campus as a freshman. Um, you know, he went over 1,000 this year and he's, you know, up there in the record books in just about every other statistical category that we have uh, has been a really steady player for us. Can shoot the basketball at a high level, um, and is a, is an outstanding teammate. Um, and and he's listed in here as Trey Rogers, but I'm gonna call him Will Rogers still. <laughs> Will Will uh, is. Uh, you know, one of the most talented kids that I've ever had, and uh, he can do just uh, just about anything on a basketball floor, and and uh, has really really developed into a leader for us, which I think has been something that that we've really benefited from this year is is he, his leadership. Um, he can guard multiple positions, he can play multiple positions, he rebounds the ball, we can post him up, he can play the one, um, and so that's been big for us too. And then Buzz, you know, his. I think he's had some games where he really struggled early on in the year because, you know, although he's a sophomore, you know, he got hurt. Uh, in January of last year and didn't play for the back half of the season so really you know some of that I think was still kind of his first year technically and he's really taken off for us in conference play and is is leading our team in scoring in conference play and and his percentages are even higher and he's another guy that can just do a lot of different things on the basketball court Um, sneaky athletic and can defend and uh, causes disruptions on that end of the floor and, and scores it from the perimeter. Gets to the rim. So, we've we've got some really really nice players there. And then you know the the two other guys that that play big big roles for us are are in my opinion some of the better defenders that you're going to find anywhere. Um, Nesser Boyne is you know a unique player at our level. He's he's six. He says he's six ten. He ain't six ten. He's probably six eight. Um, <laughs> but he, he's a he's a great athlete. Uh, he, he can test shots at the rim, uh, in a way that a lot of teams haven't seen. I think he, you know, he leads our team in blocks and he's up there nationally, but the amount of shots that he alters at the rim is, is really, really you know, just such a huge impact for us, night in and night out. Um, and then Jackie Tippett has stepped in for just as a defensive stopper for us. And you know, we find out who the the team's best perimeter player is, and and we put him on him, and then we don't have to worry about it because he really is a special defender with a really high motor. And and we're very very thankful to have those two guys that anchor us on that, that end of the floor because. That's where we've been able to find our success. You know, our offensive numbers are are good, not great, but our defensive numbers are really, really good, and and that's what's uh, propelled us to where we are. Sure,
0: well, great insight. I appreciate the the understanding of the team better. Um, you've got four games left. We mentioned on home against Grinnell, then two on the road against Lake Forest and Knox, and then back home to finish things up before conference play or conference tournament play. Uh, against lawrence what what's the message to the team moving forward you've now broken the record for the most wins in program history obviously there's a lot of attention on you as top 25 votes have have, have been in play What what's the message to the team in, in the locker room or uh, on the bench or wherever about what the rest of the
6: season is to be yeah so you know i think it's really important for us to be able to enjoy the the moments throughout the course of the season but it but what is what is it that we want our legacy to be you know what I mean I, is is the 19 win mark enough for us I mean is that are we going to settle for that did we come this far to only go this far you know I, I think there's an opportunity for more things out out there for us I think our goals were not at all related to setting a single season wins wins record uh, we have other things that we want to accomplish and, and trying to stay focused on those things uh, and being the best team that we can be on a daily ba- on a daily basis. Um, You know, I think we've we've got a really talented group uh, and working towards putting together full 40 minutes every single night that we go out and play is is something that's that's ongoing. Um, You know, I I think we've surpassed probably some expectations of some people, but I don't know that that's true of our own expectations of ourselves. Um, I think we believe in in the team that we have and, and what we can do and what we can accomplish. And there's more out there for us. So. You know, we want to continue to approach every game with the mentality that we're going to fight and scrap and claw and compete to the very best of our ability. Uh, and I think if we do that, then we're going to like our results, um, you know, and, and that that goes for any opponent that we play. I, you know, the, the, the teams in our league or the teams that we play a non-conference, we go in expecting to to come out on top. And and so uh, excited to see you know how we finish out here um, and hopefully keep it rolling and and see you know what happens come conference tournament and maybe beyond if we get lucky enough to win to win there. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I
0: think a lot of people are looking at that now and seeing if we might be able to see it dancing in March. Uh, uh, Steve, I appreciate the time and the insight and the understanding of a program that I think a few people don't fully appreciate uh, because we don't get to, you know don't get to understand it as well as we do, and that's why we. Bring coaches on sometimes to get a better understanding. Uh, as always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuned in?
6: Yeah, just just a sincere thank you to you and everything that you've done for for D three basketball and this show. Uh, you know, I mentioned to you earlier, twenty years. You know, it's been going on at uh, twenty years ago. I was I was in college playing. You know, and and remember following D three hoops back then, and uh, it's really been a great thing. As you know, I've been coaching for a while now too and, and seeing the continued notoriety for basketball at our level and, and bringing awareness to, to the game in Division three basketball is, has really really been great. So very thankful for you and, and for your colleagues who work really hard to promote uh, basketball at our level. So uh, thank you very much for that and for the opportunity to talk about it on the couch. Uh, this is a great place. I'm happy to be here excited about what's what's to come for us.
0: I uh, should have asked you, by the way, have have you ever been tempted by anybody to come walk away or are you enjoying your time there?
6: I'm not concerned with that at all, to be <laughs> honest with
0: you. I'm, I knew you were done. i excited about what we're doing. You know? I knew it. I knew it. I thought I had a chance. I thought maybe maybe I could get you. Hey, mm-hmm. well, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Congrats. Awesome season. Awesome, awesome. team. Uh, look forward to seeing how it all plays out, and we'll look forward to talking to you down the road about it.
6: Yep. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Appreciate Absolutely. it.
0: Absolutely. Steve Schweer joining us here. On the huddle, Hoopsville Hotline, uh, I, I said it all there. Great team, great program. They're having a wonderful season. We'll continue to watch them, and be awesome to see them marching, uh, still playing in March, and talking about them on the bracket specials as well. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to switch gears, talk to Fission 3 officiating. I chatted with Jim Haney and Mary Toberson earlier uh, this week about it all. We'll talk about to them about it and what it means. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios.
5: There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only two percent would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable.
0: Forgive me, finishing up a bite there. I was running a little bit behind. Uh, continue on with the marathon as we talk about the uh, challenges of Division Three, but also the celebrations of Division Three. One of the things that we talk about on a constant basis is officiating in Division Three, And we've had uh, Jim Haney on here to talk about those things in the past. Wonderful to chat with him. About those, but we realize he's not the only um, individual when it comes to those things that talks about um, whether it's how officials are doing how we rate officials um, and so much more there's there's so many different things in play, so I got an opportunity to reach out to him and to the women 's coordinator, Mary Tilberman, to talk about what Officiating was in Division Three this year and talk about some of the things that we're seeing called, maybe not called, and where we see the, the well, in general, officiating evolving outside of just Division Three. They joined me on the... Uh, on, excuse me, can't remember my own sponsors The Huddle Hoopsville Hotline uh, Earlier this week To discuss it all And give their take on things Again, it's a pre-recorded interview But it was a wonderful chat with them Nonetheless Now join me on the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline It is the two of uh, individuals who are in charge Of officiating for the most part in Division Three, On the men's side, it is Jim Haney. On the women's side, it is Mary Toberman. And we've had Jim on the show, but Mary, thanks for joining us. Great to have you uh, as a first timer, as it were. Uh, first and foremost, can you give everybody a little bit of your of your background and, and what kind of led you to this position?
7: Yeah, Dave, thanks for having me. Um, I associated women's college basketball for about 19 years. And 2017, I decided I had uh, a lot of work demands I couldn't keep up with both being on the court and work demands, so I decided it's time for me to step away from the game, and lo and behold, this position opened up. Um, first time, I was first person to have this position in Division Three, and I was really excited about the opportunity to get to define what it means uh, in the NCAA organization. Well, so I've done this for six years now.
0: That's impressive, and I'm sorry it's taken us this long to get you on the show. Uh, that is definitely a fault of ours. Jim has been more than willing to come on and take abuse from us. Uh, But Jim, just in case anyone's not familiar with yourself, could you
3: give everybody a little bit of a background?
2: Refereed college basketball for about 25 years in the Big East, in the ACC, about 15 or 16 years. Um, Got off the floor, went into evaluating with the Big Ten consortium, consortium, and uh, this job opened up. As Mary said six years ago, put my name in because I was currently a Division Three coordinator with the CSAC um, in the East here in Philly, and uh, looking forward to helping the newer, younger officials uh, have their careers ascend a little bit, and that was the goal, and that's what we're doing.
0: Ascend and improve, obviously. Um, <clears throat> I realize this probably isn't your only jobs. You're probably doing other things on top of that. Curious if there's other officiating responsibilities that you have, Jim.
2: I have a high school league with 18 high schools and 26 middle schools that I've been assigning since 1999 here in the Lehigh Valley, and I currently still do that. And I I still break down film for the Big Ten Consortium, uh, I watch D1 games and breakdown films for those guys. That's that's
0: pretty impressive. A lot of work, I'm sure. Mary, yourself, do you have any other officiating or is it just another job in general?
7: Both. Uh, I, I work in IT. That's my day job. Mm. And then just this year, I took on the position of conference coordinator for a Division II con- conference, the Northern Sun. Uh, 16-team conference. So it's a pretty big conference, pretty big geography here in the upper Midwest.
0: Absolutely. Quick question regarding coordinating, because I'm certainly familiar with it in this mid-Atlantic region. Jim and I have talked about it on many occasions. How do you, do you guys as coordinators, are your officials just for your group, or do you have to somehow manage them while they're also working for another conference or another entity in some capacity. Uh, Mary, we'll start on your side on that.
7: Uh, and you mean that for the conference
0: coordinators? Yeah, for coordinators, right. Yeah. Are, do, I mean, what, let me let me preface it by saying I know in my region, at least on the men's side, I think one guy is doing several conferences. And so that's an easy way to cross-populate officials. But if you're just working one, how do you, are, are those officials just yours? Or are you trying to work with other coordinators as well?
7: Oh. Uh. I work with a lot of other coordinators, probably five or six different coordinators. We have a lot of overlap in this area. Um, there's at least four division three conferences that overlap with my division two conference. So we share a lot of officials. I have a hundred officials on staff and I I know all of them work in other, at least one or two more conferences.
0: Uh, Jim, I'm assuming that's similar on your end. How in the world do you determine priority? <laughs>
2: That's individually by each official. Uh, they, they, you know they ju- get in these consortiums with five or six leagues, and you know they still have to juggle between Division two and division three one and Division three, and that's, that's an in- they're independent contractors, so they, they dictate you know who gets first dibs on on their schedule, just like the D1 guys do.
0: And I'm assuming that comes down to pay
2: yeah uh, economics has a lot to do with it, I would say. yeah,
0: yeah, no, i'm I'm not surprised. I know all the difference in pay between Division one and Division three and Division three certainly has increased. um but in, as a re, as reality, Mary, to that degree, and I see it, I think a lot more on the women's side, and this isn't a knock on them, but the less talented or the less experienced officials end up being more of our d three officials than necessarily getting a lot of d ones, is that right?
7: I think it's in pockets across the country. I yeah. think we have um, some areas, you know, uh, the area that I'm in, I feel pretty lucky because I think they get a lot of good training from division one and division two that carries over to division three and they don't get full enough schedules mm-hmm. at those levels. So they're full, you know, they're the majority of their games are coming from division three. And so I think we get, you know, a lot of talent there now in the Northeast, I think it's a lot tougher. Um, that's one of the areas where I think we have, you know, that, the that problem occurs that you mentioned. But they're, you know, I think it's getting better over time. I think that the pandemic pause especially hurt division three. And I think oh. we're seeing the ramifications from that. A lot of people that um, you know, bread and butter was division three have, have left now and are no longer officiating. So we're really trying to make up for that gap right now and and putting a concerted effort on recruiting, retention, and um, in, in those types of areas.
0: I want to dive in that in a bit. But Jim, to that point, I do know a lot of officials who are at D3 who certainly have D1 experience on the men's side. That balancing act is is certainly uh, important. But are, the, are what are the driving forces outside of economics that might have an official go to a D3 versus a D1 or flip?
2: Um, jobs, their own, their vocation. You know, remember, this is an advocation. Maybe they don't have the availability to travel. Um, there's a lot of people that uh, are good officials that are limited based upon their real job, their day job. And they then are, you know, do more division three games because it's easier to get to those schools in a timely manner, as opposed to traveling by air airfare or, or airplane and, you know, wherever a car to get to a D1 game. So um, their day job has has a lot to do with it and, yeah. and their home life. They're, they have to have a supportive spouse too. You know, Fair. a lot of these people are have young families and they, they don't want to be away for three or four days.
0: Fair. No, I get that entirely. Uh, thanks for the insight on that. Let's jump a little bit into kind of commonalities. First and foremost, you know, I don't see a lot of men's and, and women's officials crossing over. I'll get to that in a moment, but that begs the question, do you two as coordinators at the Division Three level, are you working together in any capacity, or are you basically two separate entities? J- Jim, we'll start with you on that one.
2: Well, no, Mary and I work together. We share ideas and thoughts uh, about recruiting and retention and, you know, opening up if if a female official wants to work both men's and women's giving them the opportunity, uh, you know, but it, it comes down to my 26 supervisors who, you know, staff their their games. So um, I would like to see it open up even more. Mary and I've talked about this in the summer at camp. Uh, I would like to see the bridge opened up more, but um, that's, to, that's down the road. We're, we're getting to it slowly. But it's, it's down the road. And don't be surprised if, for the first time this year, you see a female official in the, in the Division three men's tournament. Don't be yeah, surprised.
0: We'll, def- we'll definitely get to that because I've, I've already had an experience that was wonderful. Mary, to that point, what is the coordination like and, and what are the challenges from your perspective?
7: Well, like Jim said, we coordinate all year. We call each other even in the summer, when we're, especially at camp. I think that's really the time when a lot of these conversations come up. Um, and we, there's some barriers to this. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned to Jim, they have to register twice um, with the NCAA on the men's side and the women's side. That's two costs, that's two rule sets, that's two everything. There's probably very few people that are good enough to do both at the same time, but I'm very supportive of that. And I'm very supportive of people going over to the men's side and then coming back if they want. Uh, at Division II, I lost three officials this year to the men's side. I should say lost. They, they chose to, you know, go over <laughs> on the men's side for a year and try it. And I I, I think it's a great idea. I, mean, I think it helps everybody um, pursue their goals in this uh, advocation and get more experience. I do did that- I, When I was refing. I did men's semi-pro for a while, and I loved it. So I really do support that.
0: And obviously, we've seen a lot of female officials pushed up into the ranks. The N- NBA, I know, has quite a few now after it was a big deal that they had just one. Um, and I've been talking to some officials who are maybe on that NBA track. At least that's what they tell me on the men's side. And they say now the NBA basically, when it has a new batch to train, they want an even balance between men and women. Jim, you alluded to the fact that we may see a woman uh, officiating in the um, in the in the tournament. I got a chance to see. I think one of my first games this season had a woman on the crew, and nothing against the other two guys who I have known for years. Not only did she hold her own, and and I mean that out of total respect, I think she she owned them to some degree. She seemed like she knew the rules better. How much is that a push? How much is it a push to get females officiating on the men's side? And how much has it just been an evolution on its own?
2: I think it's more of an evolution on its own. Um, We're now providing the opportunity where in the past – uh, that door wasn't open to anybody. And now we've had like Crystal Hogan, you know, from Los Angeles work at the big 10 level in the pack, pack 12, she's working, the, you know, the 40 or 50 division one games out West. So she sort of was the pioneer uh, of this, but it's now made it easier to, to, to transition because, It's becoming a little bit more accepted, and hopefully in 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 the future, Mary and I can figure out a way, as she said, to knock down some of these roadblocks where it's, you know, two registrations, two tests, two meetings. You know, maybe we can knock down some of this uh, jointly together, and uh, and even make it more of a a smoother transition if they want to do it.
0: I have an idea on that. We'll get to in a moment, but Mary, I know with this one official, I was told third-hand or second-hand, I guess would be a better way of saying it, not from her directly, she's she's turning down big D1 money to transition into this track on the men's side and do Division three games, as we discussed earlier about the difference in cost there. You say you lost those players, but are those, <laughs> I'm so used to saying players, lost those officials. But to some degree, how much would it be beneficial, as Jim was talking about, to get them to be able to do both?
7: It would be great. Honestly, I'm really supportive of it. Um, I think it keeps you a little sharper, mentally sharper when you have to, you know, think about I'm doing a different rule set tonight. I have to really focus on this. I know, you know, again, I mentioned my own history of working multiple rule sets and genders, and it it did keep me sharper. And I think there's nothing but benefits. There's nothing but upside. Um, another benefit I want to mention is on the women's side, we've had um, some pressure to, escalate women faster on a faster track than they maybe should be. Mm. And I think now that both sides are opening up um, and there's more, you know, just availability for for women, I think we're going to, that's going to temper itself down a little bit. And it's really going to be about skill um, that, that elevates people regardless of gender.
0: My experience with men's and women's soccer, you see officials all the time doing both. In fact, if there's a doubleheader of men and women's games, the chances, at least in my experience at Division Three, of seeing the same three officials do both games is pretty high, actually. And they'll just rotate their positions on the field, meaning that the, the center official in the women's game could, is your A2 sitting on the sideline for the men's game, while maybe the A1 for the women's is now the center, whatever. They, they somehow figure that out. That doesn't seem possible in basketball. And I know one of the biggest reasons is our rules are not nearly as universal as they are in soccer. I understand maybe a few differences, but Mary, how frustrating is it that that we literally, to some degree, have two completely different rule books as if it's men's and women's across?
7: Um, I think that... um... I wouldn't say it's that frustrating. I think that it's challenging, and I think that um, it's in a lot of regards it's necessary. We have we just have a different game. We have a horizontal game in the women's game. It's a much more vertical game on the men's game. There has to be different um, rules to address different situations, right, and different goals. Uh, women's basketball they wanted scoring to increase, and so a lot of our rules you know, surrounded around how do we get increased scoring opportunities by allowing ball handler dribblers more freedom of movement and things like that. So again, we call, you know, a hand checking a little tighter on the women's side. uh, And we have an emphasis on that. Um, And and again, I think that's necessary. But I do think that individual officials have the ability to to adapt to that night in and night out and do exactly what you're saying. Uh, I, I just... I think that a lot of people can develop that skill. They're good enough to do that.
0: I certainly agree with that. Just from a rules perspective, though, um, obviously, the, the size of the basketballs are different. That's a whole other debate whether that needs to be the same or not. And obviously, would have to, I think, go to the men's size. Um, but that's near, neither here nor there. The three-point line for a long time, who knows what line we were shooting from. We finally, finally figured it out, depending on the gender. And I saw officials who couldn't keep up with that. And I don't blame them to some degree. The arc rule is completely different. The shot clock rule is completely different. We're playing quarters and halves. That's a whole nother conversation we don't need to get into. There are so many differences, Jim, that it does feel like it keeps officials, despite what I I know what Mary's trying to say there and even yourself, but it does feel like that makes it a pretty big hill to climb when you literally have to know very different rules. I mean, I bumped into it being a PA announcer. There was a scenario where a player left the game for a foul in a women's game. They were dealing with a sub, and I just happened to say to the official, "I said, doesn't that give the opposing coach the option to choose the the, the shooter?" And to her credit, she turns, she goes, "Actually, no, that's the men's rule. On the women's rule, you know, they can just bring one in." And I went, "Gee, you know, there's another one."
2: And God, great that she knew it, but Jim, that's a huge that's a huge hurdle. It takes a special person to to commit to doing both. And as Mary said, and as you've just alluded to, there is so many differences right now with philosophies and how the game's called. And, you know, we're, we're, we're basically doing the same thing. There are the points of emphasis are basically the same. Uh, we wanted scoring up. We wanted freedom of movement, just like the women's game. But the speed of the game and the, the size mm. of the athletes uh-huh. is so much different. It makes that person crossing over's job so different each and every night. And it, it takes a special person to be able to do that. And it makes a commitment, Dave, from that person to yeah. and willingness to do it.
0: That's true. Absolutely. I would say, as much as I agree with you, the difference is between the men's and women's games. I think there's a big difference between the men's and women's soccer games, too. Men's soccer is far more physical than the women's game. Um, again, same idea that it's yeah, men's game maybe a little bit more vertical because they're they're going for those those uh, those 50 50s a little bit more aggressively, whereas the women's game it's a little bit more horizontal. But they can figure out how to at least get rid of some of these ridiculous differences like in shot clocks and stuff. But I we could go on for that forever, and we don't need to. I want to talk about retention a little bit, Mary, because you touched on something that I think is important, um, but also a challenge on the women's side. I'll be honest, in my experience, Division Three games. I, I can look out at a crew and go, it is going to be a long night. It, this is not a great crew, or they they just don't have the experience, or five minutes in the game, whichever it matters. And then there's other times I come in and go, wow, we've, we've got the A team. On the men's side, that's far less often. That's far less often. There may be some officials I know that aren't great, but they're usually mixed in with some top-notch guys. Is what's Why is the women's game, Mary, suffering maybe, in my perspective, more – from inexperience than we see on
7: the men's side? Um, I think that's a great question. I'm not sure I have a great answer to it. Uh, you know, I hate to to blame the pandemic pause, but I think it was more detrimental for us and, and not that the men didn't experience the exact same thing. I think we just maybe didn't hold on to our officials um, and keep our camaraderie up like we potentially needed to. And, you know, I certainly as a leader in Division Three officiating, have a responsibility for that. Um, a little bit more outreach, a little bit more um, cultivating and, and getting back to some of those events that, that kept people in the game, if you will.
0: Jim, on your side, it seems, if, especially with the push to get more female officials into the, to the men's side of things, it seems maybe the numbers are okay on your side.
2: They are. They are okay. As Mary said, we did not suffer as much nor are we suffering as much right now with numbers. And we are getting terrific training from previously J.D. Collins, now Chris Rasteller, uh down through John and, and myself to, to the 26 conference supervisors that I have. Those guys are doing a terrific job of training, uh, and the tools that they're using is so much better than back 20 years ago the availability of film and and being able to see plays right after the game on huddle or synergy. Uh, it, it's so different today, Dave. And I can take some credit for it by pushing the conference coordinators, but certainly those guys deserve all the credit for her, for her, the training and the stuff they're doing, which is allowing some of these younger officials to to have their careers move up a little bit.
0: Um, by the way, this is the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. I just want to make sure no one's confused uh, with our with our loyalties here. Uh, no, I'm oh, sorry, no, Jim, you're fine. I'm totally <laughs> joking around. Um, just couldn't resist the opportunity. Um, let's talk a little bit about the rules, but I want to talk a little bit about when, our bridge to that. I think which has something to do with retention. We talk a lot about in the youth sport, not a lot of officials because of the abuse they take from coaches and parents we're starting not starting to we have been seeing that to a large degree in the college ranks sometimes we look at a coach and we're like oh it's kind of funny he's yelling and screaming at the official and the officials literally ignoring him Ha ha ha! but then we do get scenarios where it crosses the line as i mentioned in the christopher newport washington and lee game that we certainly know and that's not the only one that's just the one that made headlines um and and i remember talking to some people after that and said listen The behavior of those coaches, parents see that and then they emulate because the officials allowing the coach to get away with it. The parent thinks that they can get away with it. And then it just snowballs from there and only gets worse. Mary, I'll start with you. At at what point do we just have to cut this off? And while officials may have to end up being the bad guys, as it were, the behavior has got to get slapped back down in some way.
7: Yeah. uh, You know, we've talked about unsporting conduct in fights in particular more this year than uh, we have in 20 years. And, you know, so uh, I think that's definitely a symptom of the problem. And while I appreciate the question about officials, I think it's really everybody. It's coaches, it's parents. Um, I was at a soccer game where a high school soccer game, a fight broke out. The mother of one of the kids went out and grabbed her daughter and said, what is wrong with you? What has gotten into you? We don't see parents doing that. We see parents blaming everybody else for their kids' actions. And I'm not trying to say that this is a parent problem. It's a parent problem. It's a coach problem. It's a commissioner's problem. It's an official's problem. And we have not figured out how to band together to fix this. We are operating in silos um, and pointing fingers. And we need to stop doing that and figure out some ways to come together. However, it's also sort of a microcosm of society, right? Um, we, we just really have a lot of challenging problems that, that we got to work on together.
0: No, um, oh, so, No, good point, Jim. Any thought on that before, I, before my follow-up?
2: Oh, I agree 100% with Mary. Uh, I, I've talked to the commissioners, I talked to the NABC, meeting down in the final four I go in and I try to tell them look this is a culture change we all need a culture change big time and pretty soon we're not going to have officials to do games Uh, it's already showing at the youth level it's showing at the high school level and it's going to creep up into our game and if if we aren't all together in this bonding together to make a different change and make a positive change to our game we're going to see it we're going to see it end we're going to see games not played I know
0: that the part of the job of a coach is to work an official and they flat out say that. And I've been a coach at the youth level myself. My mentality on that is you have a conversation as they're going past me. I'm going to make a comment just, Hey, what about that? What did you see there? Something to just engage in that conversation. So it's not a yelling session. So I'm not blowing my lid at him and making it a whole tense situation, which by the way, I don't think gets anybody anywhere, but Mary, or both, Jim, we'll start with you. Uh, uh, In the CNU-Washington League game, the coach barely got to midcourt yelling and screaming. I had a men's game where the coach, at the end of the game, got all the way to the official on the opposite end of the floor from his bench. The official swallowed the whistle and sprinted off. In the Christopher Newport game, again, I don't know what words were said in these two scenarios, but in the Christopher Newport game, words were clearly said that triggered a whistle and ended up with two technicals. not going to go into the details. My point being, as much as we don't want to work in silos and as much as we want to work as a group how much do we also as officials maybe need to have them stop giving so much leash and at some point tell the coaches we're done taking the abuse we are going to start taking you know firing techs at you and if you don't get the message you won't be on the sideline
2: dave isn't this part of part of the the culture change when i was refereeing uh, you know jim Beheim, jim calhoun I had to to learn how to communicate with those people and those coaches at the highest level today, society, it's easier to text somebody than look somebody in the eye and talk to them. True. We don't have people skills. The new generation doesn't have the people skills, doesn't have the diffusing skills. So they'd rather sit there and go into a little defensive shell and hope it blows away where I, in my years, had to learn how to deal with it and learn how to diffuse it or use the technical. If I had to, it's, it's, it's a whole new generation nowadays. It's that's what I'm saying. We, we have to do this together as, as coaches, as officials, because if I gave each coach a a phone number and each official a, a cell phone, There'd be great communication during the game. You could text during timeouts. You could text during dead ball periods. It'd be great. But I can tell you this, as far as going over and trying to explain something, you know and I know there is no communication today. None. No.
0: And more more times than not, when an official makes the effort, the coach just yells through them. Um, Mary, those are great points. Do you have anything to follow up on that?
7: Uh, uh, just one thing, you know, Jim said it all – Agree with everything you said. You said it perfectly. I have often advocated for miking officials and coaches, uh, and and then let the record show what was really said. <laughs> uh-huh, okay, I'm in. For that that. Was, I'm I'm for, that, that. A leveler. Yeah. yeah, I'm
0: for that. I'd love to go back and listen to some of those conversations. Absolutely. Yeah, that might stop some things. That's for sure. Uh, I really appreciate all the insight. I want to talk quickly about some rules um on the women's side mary it it seems people understand them we don't have a big issue though i'm starting to see the flop issue popping up a little bit Mm -hmm. usually in soccer i always commend the women because they don't dive as the men go and i played soccer listen i played it but i never took a fall and i say that proudly men you get brushed and it feels like they blew out their acl um are you having issues with certain types of rules on the women's side? Is there something, you talk about the, the point of emphasis, but are there things that, they, that are continually needing to be worked on?
7: Um, you know, I think it's the same things we're always working on. Traveling it continues to be a mm. challenge. It's just, it's a challenge, you know. Um, but it in the unsporting behavior is obviously in the new one, we just talked about this cropping up this year. I do laugh about the flopping uh, emphasis on the men's side because I I can't, Every women's broadcast I watch this year, they're talking about flopping rules uh, and we don't have one. Don't so, have them, right. uh, yeah. So it's it's kind of um, it's, it's interesting that that's such a discussion point this year. Um, and it's been a discussion point with the leadership as well. Like, should we have a rule? Shouldn't we have a rule? I think that where that flopping is a problem, it's a problem with certain teams and that's it. It's not widespread on the women's side.
0: Makes some
4: sense. So, yeah. Yep.
7: Yeah,
0: I can buy into that. Yeah, Jim, to that point, I am blown away. And I say this seriously, and I've said it on Twitter. I've said it to some coaches myself. How everybody is up in arm about this rule when we've had it for several years. The only difference is the warning is gone. But we have called this for years. Why is it such a darn big deal now? Because it's a technical foul, and it's a point the other way. Technically, it was a technical foul in the past. You just got away with one before you got it.
2: Right, right. But that warning seemed to put everybody on, on notice that it's, you know, one more time and you're done. That warning got eliminated because the, the stakeholders wanted it out of the game. That warning wasn't getting it out of the game. Fair, and that's, and that's what they saw. So they figured, let's do let's put the technical foul in and let's try to get this out of the game. Hey, we haven't had. When was the last time you saw a hook and hold? Actually, I, saw, I actually did saw one a couple one? Of weeks ago. Did but you there see was, one? it
0: was. The, I remember thinking to myself, "Geez, I have not seen that in years." But I yeah. actually did see one. But my point being, to
2: your point, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, and that's we got rid of that pretty quickly. Yeah, and this technique, I think I, we need some adjustment to it. The rules committee is going to have to examine it again uh, in the well, off season. What needs to be adjusted? Because I, my next question to that was, I, for most part, I've seen flop
0: calls. I've agreed with them, both offensively and defensively. But I'm also now feel like I'm at a point where, like with a lot of emphases, we're at a point in the season where I'm now seeing some flops that aren't getting called, and and they maybe they should. There was one guy in particular I was watching. I even, I even told some others, he's getting away with flops here. The officials have had their whistle in their mouth. They're staring at him and they're choosing not to call it. What you know? What needs to be adjusted? And why are we in this transition
2: now of not calling it? They should still be calling them. That, that's that transition. There shouldn't be a transition from November to now. Should be the same on on all points. I'll give you a game some, of to watch. Emphasis, <laughs> some of the emphasis. Some of the emphasis. The easy ones: the shooter falling down without contact, uh, the head bob, the guy dribbling that fakes like he just got shot with a cannon. Yes. The ones, that, the ones that are the difficult ones that we're struggling with are the post play and Agreed. the player control fouls. Agreed. We still have those two words in our rule book, incidental contact. And as long as those two words are in our rule book, there's going to be some inconsistencies from officials on adjudicating the rule in those particular areas,
3: right.
2: which I think we then will have to redefine a little bit better going forward for all stakeholders, for everybody, for the coaches, for me, for you,
0: Mary. This this will be for you too, but I'm gonna start with Jim. Can we have both calls, Jim? Can there be an offensive charge, but at the same time, a call for a flop on the player? Because yeah, Bud, I know he charged into you, but you didn't need to shoot across the floor in that play. I already I've got the call. You don't need to embellish it. Can we have both? Because I haven't seen that.
2: I don't think you can have it in that sense, because in that sense, the player control foul will take precedent. Uh, And we might go talk to the young man and say, uh, young man, stand there and take the charge a little bit better. Don't embellish it. I don't need help. You've got the player control foul. That's my point. I don't need any help calling it. There can be a flop and a blocking foul on the defense if the defender falls early and the post and he falls and he's laying on the ground. And now the offensive player goes up and shoots. The player on the ground has been issued a flopping warning by the referee, but he's allowing the player to shoot the ball to continue to play. He then goes up and scores, but he falls over top of the guy on the ground who's now not in legal guarding position, right? Right. He's not in legal guarding yeah. position because he's laying on the floor. Unbelievable. I, so there can be that scenario where there's a flop, there's a personal foul, there's an and one and a good goal, but that's probably the likely scenario. Uh, I, I, I'd like to maybe see the other one come into
0: play where, okay, I know I, it's a charge. I just didn't need you to embellish it. And on will flip that. Hey, I know you were shooting. I know you got hit, but you didn't get hit hard enough, uh, Reggie Miller to go flying yeah. across the floor. So, I mean, I'd I, like to see both because I think that would help a little bit too because you're saying to the player, I got your call, stop doing it. And Mary, to, to your art, to your side of it, while you don't have the flopping, there are times I could see double calls too that don't take place. How difficult, do officials only think about the one and not think about, hey, there, there is a potential of two here?
7: I think so. I mean, uh, it, certainly it's not our default to think about two, right? <laughs> We want to keep it simple, right? We don't sure. we want to call the elephants and make sure that things are obvious when we call them and that we don't have to have a, a, a two or three minute explanation to an irate coach, right? Um so I think, I think that, you know, but but I, I can envision the exact play that you're describing, Dave and, and Jim, and you know, and I, I've seen it, but it's it's rare. It, you know, let's face it, it's a little bit more rare and um we don't want to over officiate either, yeah, right?
0: I think on the women's side, the one I also think I see a lot more often is a defensive player not in a defensive position, but the offensive player throwing the elbow to clear space.
7: Yep. So I get both, very frustrated with that one. Yeah. They're yep. both at fault in
0: that scenario. Yep. yep. And, and one or the other is it called. Um, and yep. sometimes neither to be up to be. And concerned.
7: we do have double fouls. <laughs> we have. Right. Them. That's my point. Okay. Is we have,
0: <laughs> yeah. There is an avenue yeah. for double fouls. And Jim, to that yeah. point, there's an avenue yeah. for it. That's why I'm surprised you say we can't have
2: a charge and a flop. Well, you, you can, you can. Just, yeah, I know. <laughs> the likely saying. scenario is. Isn't going to happen. That, that it's not going to happen. Yeah, I, that's I mean, what I'm I saying. Can is... sit here, I can sit here and tell you, oh, no, they're going to they're going to call that. And you know and I know that there is no way in hell that that's getting called. Uh, it's going to be picked one or the other.
0: I, I've taken a bunch of your time. One quick follow-up on things is is how often do you get complaints about calls and how often Are the calls right? I know that's a really loaded question to some degree, but my point being is this was a play that took place. We believe that that was an absolute wrong call, whichever way or non-call. How often do you go back to the coach and say, actually coach, we're okay with that? Mary, I'll start with you.
7: Well, I would say that um, 60% of the plays that coaches ask me to take a look at, unfortunately they're incorrect. but I try to give them more than an explanation of just that the official's right. Right. I try to say why, um, and, or it's inconclusive, right. You know, we don't always have good angles. So, but I also try to explain the philosophy of, you know, what, what the person can see in that position, um, when they're officiating and what we want them to be looking for and what we've trained them to look for. Unfortunately, I don't, usually get a coach that agrees with me, <laughs> I, but I, keep like trying, <laughs> I keep trying, Dave. I keep trying.
0: Jim, how much, I know there's been a couple of calls recently, especially end of games that probably ended up on your desk. Um, I, I, I know there's an email uh, I sent you out of curiosity. Um, how, how often, it, same thing, how often are they right? How often are you explaining that it was actually incorrect?
2: Uh, right now, the percentage is higher that they are correct that's good with, with their judgment. And it might be knowledge that the coach isn't, he's just not up to date on some of the things he's not aware of, you know, the intricacies of, of officiating, whatever, but there there's the coaches, the coaches right now are are doing a really good job of coaching their kids. And, um, there's not, as many, there's not as many plays that I get sent. Now, I can't say that for the supervisors, but the plays that I get sent are the plays like you send me, the tough, the tough ones. They're not the, the end-of-game ones, which um, the Wheaton one was – was that one was a hard one. And the other yeah. one, the Wisconsin one, was uh, our two words, incidental contact, which I was okay with.
0: I think the Wisconsin one was the one I think I sent where I asked, why can't we have both? Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. remember now because it's a bit of a blur, and i'm I'm impressed by your political skills, sir, of not answering the question on air. Um, <laughs> well done. Well done indeed. Mary, now that I have your email address, I'm warning you. Um, <laughs> no, actually, I think that's first, I think that's the first one I sent Jim all season, <laughs> so uh, I've been good at leaving him alone. Uh, I, I could ask a bunch more questions. I am sure there's other questions we haven't got to. I know uh, that viewers sent us questions um that I haven't gotten to and actually I'm just double checking I didn't miss a a major one so bear with me here but for the most part I'll I'll leave it at this because I know I gotta let you go um we always have kind of a final word on things uh in the in this in this show is there anything in particular um Mary we'll start with you that you want to make sure everybody is aware of
7: Um, we have our joint championship for women's basketball this year division one two and three will be in Dallas at the same time we are making it a big officiating event as well running our next generation officiating seminar while we're down there. So lots of exciting stuff happening. And I think we are getting a lot of vision for officiating and we just need to start executing. So thanks for having me on David. Well, excited to promote these things. Thank you, Mary,
2: for for agreeing to Jim, your final thoughts. It's getting better. We're working hard at it collectively between the coaches and, and myself and the officials and supervisors. It's not, Remember, it's incremental gains. That's all you got to worry about is incremental gains. And the stakeholders will keep adjusting and adjusting. And maybe some of these things that you, Dave, have questions on will get resolved over the summer and make it clearer for us going forward. And I wish Mary the best in her joint championship. I'm excited because ours is in Indy in 2026. Yep. And uh missed out
0: in 2020, unfortunately. Yeah, we
2: missed out in Atlanta, and that was going to be some tournament because yeah, we had was. everybody was all the right teams were there, everything was working, and it just that yeah. was a shame. We're gonna, but be... thank you again, Dave, for having me on. You know, you have the right to reach out to me anytime you want.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you to both of you for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. Look forward to hearing more from you all down the road, and uh, appreciate your openness as well. Look forward to uh, working and talking with you down the road. And I will say officiating has definitely improved or nitpicking maybe in some areas, but uh, your work is noticeable, at least from my perspective. And I thank you for it. I'm glad Division Three has this now in place. You guys take care and we'll talk soon. Appreciate it, Jim and Mary, coming on the show and talking about officiating with us. I know we didn't get to everything. We touched on most of it, though, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation. We'll have more conversations with them as time moves on. A lot to unpack from that, and we'll certainly be unpacking it for weeks to come. We're going to take a break. Apparently, the stream doesn't like us for some reason. We'll figure out what's going on there and go from there. resetting things, see if that helped. It didn't. We'll figure out why we're having some internet issues and get going. When we come back, we will talk to the guys about the women's top 25. you listen to Hoops, Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. More after this.
5: Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only two percent would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs, no private jets, no fan clubs, no Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable..
3: We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're at d3hoops.com at wwwd 3 hoops
0: And welcome back, everybody, as we continue on. Sorry, we had a little bit of an internet glitch there, so we had to stop and start, but hopefully everything's okay. Might have had an issue with our recording. We'll have to figure that one out and get back to it. If we missed any part of that conversation with um, our officials, our coordinators, we will try and, and at least fix that on the files wherever we can fix them. But we'll cross that bridge. Later. If you have questions for us, tweet us at D3 Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. Lots of ways that you can interact with us. We hope you'll you'll take full advantage of those opportunities uh, at some point down the road. Going to switch gears, uh, go back live um, and talk um, women's basketball. Uh, We're going to try and figure out what the guys think um, of the top 25 on the women's side because... As always, it's an interesting conversation to say the least. Uh, and uh, joining us on the Blue Frame technology or sorry, huddle Hotline. I gotta get used to this this switch here. Uh, joining us, it is Riley Zayas and Scott Peterson. As always, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, though Riley, I, I don't know, uh, they, they've been told to keep you in check. Um, I don't know. Maybe 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 things are getting too big. I kid. Uh how you guys doing and, and, and uh, how how's your reactions to the season so far since we last chatted, Riley?
4: Yeah, Dave, I appreciate you having me on as always. I'm always glad to talk some, some D3 women's basketball and I mean this, this season it just continues to unfold. This is an exciting time right right now where we're getting really close to conference tournaments, regular season schedules are coming to a close. There's some really, really big matchups for a lot of teams, and a lot of conference races coming up in the next week or two. Uh, so it's just been a lot of fun to to cover it all and and really just see how far a lot of teams have come. I know I mentioned Oshkosh a couple of times, but you know them being Eau Claire on the road last night just shows how far they've come. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of these teams that start out the year with a lot of the experience are now in in prime positions in their conference races, and so it's just been a lot of fun to follow over the course of the year. And hope everyone is uh is is thinking the same. Scott, thoughts?
8: We've talked about parody in past shows, and I think it just continues. I I was chatting with a um, Wisconsin team supporter and how I get to stress-free follow everything while I watch (laughs) WIAC and NESCAC and UAA teams, the top teams in the conference, booze, like night after night, right? Um, And it's enjoyable for the rest of us to see extremely competitive basketball. We don't have 15 teams running rough, rough shot over everybody else. It's a lot of fun, especially when you don't have um, a kid or
0: a relative playing. Totally agree. Totally agree. It's, it is definitely an advantage uh, of uh, my job, and it's also an advantage when my, my alma mater is basically not relevant. So uh, I don't, I don't need to worry about it. Hey guys, let's get right into it because there's so much to talk about uh, across the board, um, and you guys have got the unenviable task of picking out a dubious, deep dive, and debatable squad to to discuss. Dubious meaning a team that these guys feel is maybe getting a little too much love, too much attention in the top 25. One that they're voting on themselves, maybe. Uh, The deep dive is someone they don't think is getting enough attention. Maybe a team that they're not voting for, but certainly considering. And debatable is a catch-all. Where's a team we want to discuss about them? Of course, this is all on the women's side of things. Uh, Let's start on dubious, shall we? Um, Let's do that. We'll go there, make it interesting, and uh, Riley. We'll start with you. What is your dubious pick this week on the women's side of things?
4: Yeah, Dave. It, first, let me just say this is a this has been a tough task this week trying to find a dubious team because I really think the voters are doing a good job. The one that had the biggest difference between my ballot and in the way that the poll turned out was Baldwin Wallace, uh, and you know they're a team. They're they're eighteen and two right now, eleven and two in the OAC, and uh, there's a lot to like about their resume, to be honest. You know, they they have the the opening season win over over Trine. Um, they beat Marietta, beat Hamilton. Um, you know, as of late, though, watching them play, my my initial thought is that they look to be good, but not great uh, right now. You know, they're they're kind of hanging around. They're in the top fifteen, and I'm just not quite sure. That they are at that caliber right now, based on what I've seen, It's not so much the wins and the losses. It's more so the way these games are playing out. Um, you know, Heidelberg, two and seventeen came within ten points of them um, just a week ago. You know obviously Marietta beat them by ten. Uh, you know, and that was when Baldwin Wallace was at home. So there's a couple of and even you know Mount Union took them into overtime a couple of weeks ago. So there's been a few of those results that have been somewhat intriguing. At the same time, if you're a Baldwin Wallace supporter, it may be concerning uh, because this is a team that has had its highs and its lows. But for me, I just haven't seen enough from them to say right now they're clearly a top 15 team for me.
0: Fair. Uh, Any thoughts back, Scott?
8: Yeah. uh, I'm not a voter, so I'm not – super entrenched in like oh you know what is this team versus another team but when whenever i see the weekly uh poll come out i never blink an eye about bob and wallace they seem like they've been strong all year Uh, um but then i saw on twitter ryan scott posted his ballot and he had them 25th and i was like wait a second i I have a lot of respect for ryan I, i don't think that they're 25th so i went and dug into their results and i was like you know what I keep seeing their like top of region NCAA resume day after day. Let's, but let's look at it through different criteria, right? Cause we have the freedom to do that for the poll. Uh, and they do have a body of like good, but not amazing wins outside of maybe Trine, which looks a little, it's lost a little bit of its luster. And then as Riley said, they've had some, some really close games against teams that you wouldn't expect a team to have. Um, and that's not saying that road conference games are easy. Uh, but, They have had some very close calls recently in more than more than one. So I think that they are a really interesting team, uh, depending on what lens you want to look at it through.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And this is why we have you guys on to debate it all. Uh, Scott, (laughs) Who would your dubious pick be? So I think Riley
8: mentioned it, but the voters are making it really tough on us to come up with dubious teams. Um, especially since we don't want to repeat teams. And so I went all the way down to number 10 others receiving votes for my dubious and that's Stevens. Um, so I would probably have Stevens around my top 50 um, rather than not really 35th, but kind of in that range that they are right now. Um, because to me, the losses don't look great, right? They they lost neutral Florida Catholic at home to Tufts who Looks less and less strong as time goes on. And then Steven's also lost at Misericordia recently, who's a good team. Um, but you kind of expect teams getting top 25 votes to not lose those sorts of games. The DeSales win is obviously great, but I'm not sure what the next best win after that is. Maybe at Kane. And so it just seems like a resume that they don't, they don't really feel like they would garner a top 25 vote from me. And so I, re- I wouldn't really expect them expect to see a team like this even at number 10
4: others receiving votes.
0: Fair. certainly understand that. Any thought on that Riley?
4: Yeah, I mean on, on Stevens I, I can I could completely see that uh, you know and, and two, I think sometimes when teams win a really big game like the DeS, there's that temptation to kind of start to dig into their resume and maybe in some ways, convince yourself uh, that they're a top 25 team. I, I think Stevens is definitely in that national conversation. They're on my watch list. Um, I've, you know, I've liked a lot of the results, but at the same time, you know, I can see where there's a lot of teams right now in that others receiving votes category that I would put ahead of Stevens before I put them in my ballot.
0: Interesting enough, we'll have Stevens women's coach coming up next you'll see if she's paying attention to this segment at all and if scott is on her naughty list uh when we get a chance to talk to her coming up just wild timing that certainly wasn't the plan uh let's switch to deep dive scott we'll let you uh jump on that one i don't know if we have this guest coming up or not or if we've already talked to him but we'll let you have deep dive
8: yeah, so on Twitter, someone was, I think it was a Blue Golds uh, broadcaster, was saying, hey, Scott's providing some bulletin board material for the team. So happy to do it. <laughs> Looks like I'm doing it for Stevens as well. Um, on Deep Dive, I'm going to go with Milliken. So they're 25th in the most recent D3hoops.com poll. And I would put them a lot higher. So their losses keep looking better as time goes on. Yeah. They're at Whitewater, at Wash WashU, um, maybe not. Versus Stevens Point, but I think Stevens Point is a good team as well. Those losses keep looking better over time. They have a lot of good wins. I think none of them super stick out, which helps them fly underneath the radar. radar but neutral court against Coe at Augustana, DePaul, Carroll, Wheaton, Illinois Wesley, and Augustana again. The CCIW is not weak, and they are taking care of business. Yeah. They their underlying stats are very good. They've played a strong schedule and they did not have Bailey Kaufman for any of their three losses. They have her now and I'm not sure that Milliken isn't a top 10 team right now as far as like strength and what they're doing on the court.
0: Interesting. Uh, I agree with you. I think they're they're better than 25. surprised that they're that low on the poll myself. Uh Riley any follow, any thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, I I would I would just kind of add to that. I've had Milliken in my ballot for the last three or four weeks. I can remember after the Eastern Illinois game that they played, uh, played Eastern Illinois, who's a D1 and put really, really close. I think Bailey Kaufman had 21 or 24 points in that one. I was really impressed with the way she played. Obviously she goes out with that injury the next day. And I can remember writing back in November uh, when they were taking some of those losses, when they rotate their Kaufman back, they will be, you know, a force to be reckoned with. And that's what we're seeing right now. You know, some of those, inexperienced posts were put kind of into the into the fire right away and I think we saw some of the effects of that they were getting out rebounded really bad early on uh but since that point I mean they're 11-0 in the CCIW I really like Milliken, and and it would say for me I mean they've been my top 20 uh probably hanged this week and and I could even see putting them a little bit higher
0: good call I agree with you entirely what's your deep dive sir
4: yeah, my deep dive is, is going to be Rhode Island College, uh, and they're a team that maybe, you know, has, has flown under the radar a little bit. I'm not quite sure if 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 they would be in my ballot as of as of right now. Uh, but you know, coming out of the Little East, they're they're 12 and 0, uh, nine, you know, 19 and 2 overall. There's a lot to like about their resume, to be honest. And and you know, they've they've beaten Bridgewater State and Bates. So, you know, when you you kind of start to look at this, the only two losses they have are Smith and Babson. And those came in the early weeks of November. Um, You know, I won't lie, they weren't by tight margins. But, you know, this is a team that since that point has really come a long way. And when your only two losses are the two teams who are both, you know, top 25 teams, well-respected in their regions. You know, I don't think that's too bad of a resume to have. Uh, you know they got three seniors in the starting lineup they're experienced and this is a team that mo- mo- you know, most likely we'll see in the NCAA tournament if they can get that cool a which it appears they will I think they'll probably be third or fourth um, coming out of region two but you know they they could be a team that may surprise some if, they- if they're able to to win a game in the NCAA tournament and maybe one of those things where people say well they came out of nowhere but really Rhode Island college is, is putting up the results right now and, and doing it in a pretty dominant way in their conference
0: no good program well coached uh, Scott any follow-up on that what I've what I've maybe not always
8: said but started to say recently is a team's a team that has a weak strength of schedule it means that we don't know it doesn't mean that they're bad right and I think a team like Rhode Island college that doesn't have a ton of really strong wins in their resume doesn't mean that they're bad. They've won them all. It means that we don't know. And the fact that their two losses came against tremendous teams and they've run the table since, uh, it might indicate that they are better than a lot of us on the outside here can would think.
0: No, no, I agree with you. I, I, I absolutely sometimes will think that. It's just that we don't have the information we're looking for. And that's basically why we're, uh, why that, what that number helps us, Both understand and not understand about a team. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's not easy. Um, All right, debatable time. This is, again, the catch-all, one that we think uh, is a team just worth discussing. Are they too high? Are they too low? Are they in the right spot? Kind of like the the porridge uh, a little bit. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you. What is your debatable choice this week, one that you want to have a convo about?
8: So Riley and I teamed up this week to come up with teams where we were agreeing to take one like opposite sides on them and not just kind of more freeform debate them. So cool. I'm going to talk about Rochester. They are 18th in the poll. And I think that they should be lower than that. So uh-huh. the loss, the loss to Brandeis, I think isn't great. You, you look at the bulk of the teams in the top 20 in the poll. They don't really have a loss um, of like to a team like Brandeis. And some of Rochester's best wins are over teams that I'm lower on than I think a lot of people are. So kind of Messiah, St. John Fisher, Ithaca, and Emory. And so that would be a reason that I would shade them down a little bit as well. Now, that said, they've played a strong schedule, and their underlying stats, like their point, rebound, turnover, differentials, those are all solid. Uh, So, you know, I think there's a lot to like about Rochester, but I probably would put them more towards the back end of the top 25 then 18th your counterpoint sir
4: yeah and and kind of where i would where i would argue against that and 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 let me make this clear too it's it's hard to put you know put those teams towards the middle of your ballot right 10 to 20 has been really hard been a lot of movement there uh the one thing though about rochester to me and i get the three losses right three straight losses in conference play will never look good the brandeis loss did not look very good uh, but you've got to consider they're also playing in what, in my opinion, is the toughest conference in the country right now. Um, and I know that's up for debate. The, the WAC and NESCAC may have something to say about that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you, you look, you also have the win over St. John Fisher. Uh, and then, you know, even this past weekend, they, they beat Chicago by 10. And Chicago is a team that, my, you know, I value pretty highly. I know a lot of voters do. And I would also add in there that, you know, A lot of what their stats are showing, you know, you have sometimes transfers who come in, you're not really sure what kind of impact they're going to have. Katie Titus has come in this year as a D2 transfer and completely dominate. I could see her being uh, the UAA player of the year, to be quite honest with you. I mean, she's averaging 21.3 points per game right now, about eight boards a game, leading them in, in a lot of those categories. And if you look in the big wins that Rochester has had, she's had a big impact uh, in those results. And so, you know, I think sometimes when you have a team that has an experienced player like that a player, you can really count on, you know, that tends to help out a lot. I had them 16th in my ballot this week. Um, you know, I, to me, I, am I'm, I'm not quite sure that they're not a top 15 team because, you know, outside of a loss to Brandeis, you know, they've lost to WashU, NYU and Hamilton, who all three of which I, I value pretty highly. Um, obviously NYU was number one for a time. So I don't know how much you can punish them for those losses, and if we're being honest, just about everyone in the poll right now has one or two losses that don't look great on their resume right now, uh, especially in that 10 to 20 range. So I'd have them a, a few spots higher than than maybe Scott would. Yeah, I get it.
0: Um, totally, uh, it's a good debate, uh, and and that middle ground's a good point of where you get stuck sometimes with these teams. Right? Who would your debatable be?
4: Yeah, and so my debatable is, is kind of actually going to be in that same 10 to 20 range right now, Trinity of Connecticut. Uh, they're number 11 in the poll right now. And, and you know, it's it's a tough thing because the NESCAC has always been one of those power conferences. And then this year, you know, Amherst is down a little bit. Um, Tufts has been kind of up and down. Bowden was ranked for a time. They're not ranked you know now, and and so I think you kind of start to look at it and say, well, how, how great are these wins really? Uh, Trinity of Connecticut, I mean, you, you look nineteen and one overall, and I I watched the game against Smith, which is their only loss up to this point. It was a three point loss in overtime to a Smith team that has obviously proven itself. And I'm not you know gonna say that Trinity should be as high as six or seven, but I think you start to look at the teams who's eight right now. Harden-Simmons. I think they could beat Harden-Simmons, right? You look at DeSales as nine. I think they could beat DeSales. They have experience on their lineup. Uh, you know, then you look at just the wins that they have. They've beaten Bowden, Springfield, Roger Williams, Babson, Hamilton, Amherst. They're doing some really, really good things right now. And their final four games are on the road. Uh, Williams, Milbury, Bates, and Tufts, those won't be easy. But they have a very good chance of finishing the Neskite schedule Undefeated. I don't know if 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 you, you know how how you quite reward that. There's a lot of teams right now at the top, but in my opinion, this is a top ten team right now with the way they're playing.
0: Scott, your counter?
8: Riley stealing my thunder a little bit there, pointing out that their final four conference games are all on the road. I think yeah, uh, Trinity. They probably would be in the 20s for me, something around there, maybe uh, low teens. But they've lost uh, the game against the best opponent that they played, which was Smith, which is not a knock for a team put, you're, that you're putting in the top 25, but might be a knock on a team that you're trying to put in the top 10. And there are some of those classic NSCAC powers that do appear to be a little bit down this year, like Amherst mm-hmm. specifically is what I'm thinking of. And then, you know, I think the... When they beat Babson on the road, I think that's a big deal. I watched that game. Yeah. It was extremely close, and I think it could have really gone either way. And you have to give credit to a team uh, for pulling it out. But I think that that wasn't, you know, I was a little bit underwhelmed watching that game. And then because of the way that the NESCAC doesn't do the, the uh, home and away, I think they, they've benefited a little bit from the schedule so far. Like their last two wins over Hamilton and Am- Amherst, sure, quality wins. Those are home wins. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested to see how they fare. These final four uh, conference games, all road games. And don't get me wrong. Like all of these NASCAR games are tough. Their win probability is be- probably between 40 and 70% in each one of them. So to win all of them, that's impressive. It's not a probable thing to happen. But I just, I think a little bit of how the this, this schedule has lined up has, has been good on them. You know? The win over Roger Williams was home. The win over Bowden that was home. Their win over Springfield was on the road. But a lot of their wins have been home wins. So this last stretch again—that's what I'm looking at.
0: Um, well, I think Emily Garner would agree with some of that. Had her on the show earlier and talked about much of that. Um, but especially that tough grind at the end, which is going to be a big challenge for both of, or for them, to say the least. Um, well, you only get one round through the conference. As a result, you also have less wiggle room. You you only get one chance at a big win or a, or taking a, a big hit in the loss category. Before we let you go, guys, final thoughts as you look ahead at the the next week or, or not just the next week, but obviously the final month of the season. I know we're starting to, to focus a little bit on uh, who may be ranked where and where teams are going to be at Selection Sunday and all that. But uh, Scott, your thoughts as as we start to pivot. Um, our focus, but still focusing on who's the best in in all the land. Yeah, I think it's been cool for me watching the endings of some games featuring teams
8: that are absolutely quality teams, but maybe have a pretty tough road to the NCAA tournament. I'm thinking Bridgewater beating Washington and Lee last night, and then Albion beating Trine, and just the pure elation of the team when they pulled it off. I think it's it's it reminds you that the definition of success for a season for the bulk of the teams is not, did we make the NCAA tournament, right? These are games that they know that they are going to be competitive in, but probably have a small chance of winning. And if they pull it off, it's because they put together a great performance on the night. So I enjoyed watching the Bridgewater win, the Albion win, and also the Laverne Claremont game. Like that was a a huge game for both of those teams and they both played like it.
0: True. Riley, your final thoughts before uh, we sign off?
4: Yeah, I'd I'd agree with what Scott said, too, in terms of, you know, thing to keep in mind is, even as we enter the conference tournaments, there's a lot of teams that for them to win one game in their conference tournament is going to be a big deal. And so I think it's really cool at this point in the season to see where teams are are going. Uh, You know, and the other thing that I would kind of add is there's a lot of title races right now that are very, very tight, and I know we've talked about it probably too much, but you know you have a, a conference like the WIAC, who has five teams right now, all very much in contention for the regular season title. We're not going to have five WIAC teams in the NCAA tournament. I think they all know that. Uh, and so there's a lot of pressure on the line for, for some of those teams and conferences right now where they put together the results. They've, they've come up with the quality wins. And yeah, at the end of the day, a lot of it's going to come down to a conference tournament. I know there's differing opinions on, on that. And I know some like the UAA is set up with, you know, the pool the a being determined by the regular season champion, but the conference tournaments are a lot of fun. And I'm really looking forward to those. Uh, you know, we're going to have a lot of things where the seeding comes into play. And so that's why I'm most looking forward to this week is some of those races and actually in the next two, some of those races, you know, we'll start to see where the seeds come out and home court advantage for the conference tournament and all that good stuff. Uh, starts to come to focus here in the next two or three weeks.
0: I agree with you. Should be good times, as always. We always have fun at this point in time. We'll let you guys go. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Uh look forward to having you back on soon to, uh, with more takes on the Top 25 and much more. Uh look forward to also, yeah, not that long. We'll get you in the on the show to spend countless hours trying to figure out who's in the tournament and who's not. Uh, but you guys enjoy it in the meantime.
4: Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Appreciate Dave.
0: it. Take care, guys. Riley Zayas and uh, Scott Peterson joining us on the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. Appreciate them taking the time to do that. Uh, they they do good work. Great to get their insights on all of that uh, and whatnot. Uh, quick reminder, uh, we are running our Hoopsville fundraising campaign. Apparently, we had a, a glitch in our Give Butter link. It has been fixed. Um, apparently, our efforts to make it uh, a, a uh, unique um, address were thwarted. and We didn't realize it, so we've gone back to the regular our goal is 5000 You see we've raised about 10% of that. <laughs> uh, you, if you go to the show page that you may be watching this on, uh, there is a GiveButter uh, link. There's also a Venmo information if you'd like to give that way. Um, so far, we've gotten uh, donations in both avenues, which we really appreciate. Um, there's also a Hoopsville uh, sh- um, merchandise campaign that we started. That number is not incorporated with our, our donations, but it's something that is there as well. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to one of the programs we just got done talking about. The Stevens women's basketball team will join us, or coach will join us, to talk about her squad and what she thinks of the team that is currently tied uh, with the sales atop the MAC for, uh, Freedom standings and has a win over those DeSales at the sales team. We'll talk to her coming up and then we'll head to the West Coast. Fred Rogan will join us from AM 570 LA Sports. We'll talk Skyak and future at D3 with him before then uh, crossing uh, the LA basin to talk to Claremont Mud senior guard Josh Angle. Then we'll head back to the East Coast. Keene State's Ryan Kane will join us. Then we'll head out to Wisconsin, where Tanya Englin and a senior on her team will join us to talk about her squad. And we'll finish up in Ohio against John Car- with John Carroll. Pete Moran will talk to us before we open it up to happy hour and bring in our friends from across the land and look forward to all of their conversations here on the Hoopsville Marathon. You listen to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC studios. Plenty more ahead.